excited. Um, you know, today's sermon, the title is Shaken and Stirred, which, by the way, has absolutely nothing to do with James Bond's martini, you know, the way he likes that's By the way, that's shaken, not stirred. <laughs> this is shaken and stirred because as we look this morning, as we're going to into Acts chapter 4, we're going to see that's exactly what happened to the early church. In this moment, in this time of crisis in the church, they were shaken and they were stirred. So let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone, if you don't have that, if you've got one of those programs, the inside sheet, that insert, has the passage on it for this morning. So just pull that out and follow along in Acts chapter 4 this morning as we look into this. Is, if you were with us last week, you heard the passage, the first part of the chapter, how the young church in Jerusalem faces now its first opposition. To, the, to, its, to their faith. The religious leaders arrest Peter and John for preaching in the temple, and they bring them in, and verse 18 says, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's a pretty, pretty direct and clear demand that they make of them right off the bat, right? So the question as we come to our passage this morning is, how did they respond? What did they do with this? Well, we heard last week in verse 20, their first response was to say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I love that because you remember all that they as disciples of Jesus had seen and heard. They heard his teaching. They heard his prayers. When they were out with him, they saw him perform these miracles and healing people and stilling the storm. And they saw him go to the cross. They saw him rise again. They saw him alive again after the resurrection. They saw him ascend into heaven. And they heard Jesus tell them that they were going to be witnesses of all that they had seen and heard. And so that's what they're declaring as they come to this point. They're told not to speak about and they say, how can we not? For all that we've seen and all that we've heard. So verse 21 tells us the leaders issued some more threats against them. And then they let them go. Now, maybe you've never been threatened like that for your faith. Probably not. You know, today, in, Christians in other parts of the world face threats like that, where they're told that they cannot speak the name of Jesus publicly. But maybe you have faced other kinds of threats to your faith. Maybe you think about this passage this morning. Maybe you faced testing of your faith. Maybe you've wondered why God would allow difficulties or sorrows into your life that have brought those tests to your faith. Maybe you've even faced accusations from other people who've challenged what you believe. So maybe there have been other kinds of threats to your faith in your life. How did you respond when that happened? Now, I've never been threatened for my faith, at least not yet in my life. But this past week, I did receive a notice from the HOA in our neighborhood. So, I, it's not exactly the same level, I, I realize that, but um, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, Beth and I, some of you know, we went on a, to a conference, we were gone for four or five days, and so we took a number of our, our plants and pots and our, 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 that Beth has all around the house and put them all on the side of our yard, just kind of open view to the street, and uh, our, our Neighbor Kim, who's here with us today, graciously volunteered to water the plants while we were gone. And so Beth thought putting them all together there would make it easier for her to come and water them in one place. Well, apparently somebody in the neighborhood drove by, thought this was an eyesore of the neighborhood, took a picture of it, and sent it to our HOA. And they sent us a warning le letter that we needed to fix this mess in the side of our yard. Now, some of you can resonate with this maybe a little bit. You know what my first response was? 
It was get defensive. It's like, how could they do this? Who would do this? Who would take a picture of our, you know, this is not fair. And I wanted to, to kind of fight back and say, well, I'm going to send a warning letter to the HOA about things that they're not taking care of. You know, it's that defensiveness. That's what we automatically do. Now, I, I will tell you, I thought better of that. And we talked about it, and, and we just put everything back, sent a nice email to the HOA, said, we've taken care of this, and, and all is fine. But that defensiveness that I felt, and that maybe you felt before, how much more would the early believers have felt that when they started receiving these accusations about their faith in Jesus? Now, maybe some of them in that early group, those early Christians, maybe wanted to, to get out and go storm the temple and... and tell those religious leaders off and, and put them in their place. Maybe others thought, no, 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 wait, we better, we better, we better step back. We better stop mentioning this. We better do what they said or it's going to bring more trouble. But they don't do either of those things. Instead, these first believers provide us with an example of what to do when our faith is tested. How we should respond when we're under attack from an individual or from a group or from in any kind of situation. Whether that attack comes from a coworker or maybe from a neighbor or that attack comes from a family member or a friend, maybe even from your own spouse. Those attacks can come from anywhere. What do we do as believers? I think in our text we're going to see this morning two simple examples that I want us to focus on. And, and these are so practical really deep, good applications for us. And they're real simple to remember. We have no screens, no text up for you to see it that way, but you can remember this. The first thing they did when their lives were kind of shaken up, these believers prayed. They prayed. That's simple. That's the first point. That's the first step. It's the first thing to do. So remember, Peter and John were questioned. They were threatened, but these religious leaders did not, at least not yet, they didn't throw them into prison. They didn't punish them. And that's going to come. But it wasn't yet. So they go back, pick up the story in verse 23. Now to our text. Acts 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had told them, had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's the first thing they do. It's not really a surprise to us because if you've been following along this series in the book of Acts, that's the pattern. That's what we see. No matter what's going on, no matter what happens, the church prays. So pick it up in the middle of verse 44. Here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And here's the quote from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So before they ask for anything, notice what they pray here. This is so, so key. They voice their faith in God's sovereign rule. They acknowledge that God is in control of everything, that he's the creator of everything. We, it's the first thing we sang this morning, right? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. That's what they said. That's what they prayed. God controls everything. He created everything. He sustains everything. And then their prayer shifts to this quote of Psalm 2, which acknowledges that many in this world Defy that sovereignty. Defy God as the king of all. 
And so these first Christians apply the psalm and that defiance to what had just happened to Jesus just a short time before. The Jewish leaders and the Gentile leaders, remember that? It was the Jewish leaders and the Roman, rule, Roman leaders, they conspire together to kill God's anointed one. The Messiah, that's what that word means. The anointed one is the same word as Messiah. They're talking about Jesus. And it would seem, at first glance, like that would have been a devastating blow to God's sovereignty. They blew up God's plan, right? How could these human rulers take down God's anointed king? Ah, but then the next verse is key because the prayer comes to this realization that these Christians had discovered this was God's plan all along. Look at verse 28. They did, talking about these rulers, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they knew that God had decided this. They, they knew that God had decided what should happen, that Jesus would die, that he would go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. That was God's plan all along. And that's true sovereignty. That's true control. And that shows us that God's ways are always higher and bigger and greater than our ways. That even through death, God put his son on the throne. So the sovereignty of God is the first thing we need to inspire our faith in him. Knowing God's rescue plan is what encourages us to trust him more. And that's why their prayer starts with that. You know, our three-year-old grandson, Mark, before in, in September, he's taking swimming lessons this summer. <laughs> Y'all remember that maybe when you were little or with your own kids. And, and, and Mark's got this pretty natural, for that age, natural fear of the water. He's not sure, you know, he, he kind of likes the splashing part, but getting into the water, it's still a scary thing for him. And so with these swimming lessons, he's been put in the water in an uncomfortable position for him, over and over and over. Now, why would our kids, his parents, do that to him? Do they really dislike him that much? Is this, is this punishment? You've been bad, so you have to get in the swimming pool. No. They, they're doing this because they love him, because they see the bigger picture, that they have a plan for this, that by learning to swim, it may one day save his life or save the life of somebody else. God is the wisest parent of all. And he has a plan, even when you don't understand what's going on in your life, you don't know why these, these difficulties or accusations or struggles are coming your way, when you don't understand those circumstances, when your faith maybe is being challenged, when it begins to waver in the face of that criticism or that difficulty, remember God's sovereignty. Remember who is king. Remember who is on the throne. Proclaim that again. And remember that he has a plan. The prayer isn't done here, however. They, they reaffirm their faith in God's sovereignty, and then they come to their request. See, a lot of times we start with our request. God, help me in this. But sometimes it's good to acknowledge who he is first, which tells us why he can help. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they said, God, consider these threats. You heard what they've said. And these threats, by the way, were serious threats. 
What you need to remember here is this group, these religious leaders were the same ones that had accused Jesus, who assigned him to death, who took him to Pilate and convinced Pilate to put him on that cross. This is the same group of religious leaders. They knew this was serious. They knew their lives were in danger here. So what did they ask God to do? They say, God, strike down those Sadducees. Put down fire on those Pharisees. Pummel those, those priests. No, that's not their prayer. And they would also don't ask God to change the circumstances or to remove the threat. I, I think that's probably what I would have prayed. God, please take away that threat. Change their minds about this. That's not what they pray. They ask God to give them the ability to speak his word with boldness, to keep proclaiming, to keep speaking, to keep believing, to keep their faith strong, no matter what the circumstances. I love that. It's such a great prayer. And this, by the way, is a real faith prayer, right? <laughs> because by doing that, if they continued to speak the name of Jesus with boldness, they knew that it would bring even greater persecution. It would bring more trouble. Have you ever asked God to help you do something that you know, that you knew would create even more difficulty in your life? That's how they prayed. And what happened after the prayer? Verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So God immediately makes his presence known and then he immediately answers this prayer. So the very thing they ask for, they're able to do right away. And it's so funny to me, this, because the religious leaders, I'm sure, were hoping that these believers would shake in fear of those threats. No, they were shaken by the boldness of God's Spirit to speak even more. So what do we do when we find ourselves fearful about living out our faith, about speaking out God's truth? We should pray for boldness. We should pray for stronger faith. We should ask God for that courage and that faith to step into our circumstances. And maybe some of you saw this um, tragic story a few weeks ago. On May 21st, a little six-year-old boy named Aiden was being driven to kindergarten by his mom. This took place in Southern California. And it was a road, road rage incident that took place. The other vehicle fired a shot into the back of their car, went through the trunk, through the back seat, through the baby seat, and right into little Aiden's body. The mom realized something was wrong. She pulled off the highway immediately, went and held her son as he died in her arms. Over the next couple of days, it, no, nobody knew who the shooter was. They didn't have uh, the information right away. Nobody stopped, obviously. And the first couple of days, this mom was so grief-stricken, she could not even speak publicly. It was the, her daughter, teenage daughter, the sister of the little boy, who spoke for the family at, at, the, at first. But when she found her voice, she was interviewed, she, just, she asked for help, she asked for anybody's help that knew anything. And suddenly, all these leads began coming in, and just this past week, the alleged shooter was arrested. And that story just reminded me, you know, when, when, when threats come into our lives, like they came to the early church, we need to ask God's help. We need to find our voice as the early church found their voice and pray and ask God for the help that we need. 
The early church clung tight to God's sovereignty and they relied on God's strength. But that threat did something else. It pushed them to depend on each other. So here's the other part of our passage this morning is that when persecution in, increased, it drew them together. It pushed the, sen the sense of unity and a shared struggle. And it brought them together as a church. So when their faith was tested, they prayed. That's the first thing they did. But then the next thing we see in Acts 4 is that they shared. They shared with each other. Verse 32 is this great description. <clears throat> if you have your Bible or, or you mark in your Bible, mark verse 32 because this is a great description of what the church should be. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They realized they had this shared faith in Jesus, and because of that, that's what brought them together in heart and in mind. They cared for each other. They were thinking about, intentionally planning ways to help each other. And that led to this amazing attitude that they had toward everything. In other words, they didn't claim ownership like we tend to do, it's kind of the American way. They claimed stewardship, which we know is God's way. That's what the Bible calls us to. They realized that everything that they had came from God, belonged to God, and therefore should be shared with God's family. And that was their attitude. That was the, how the church started. So instead of saying, what's mine is mine, they said, what's mine is God's, and because what's mine is God's, therefore what's mine is yours too. Sharing with God's family. I think that became a, a result of some of this difficulty and persecution. It pushed them to care for each other, take care of each other. And, and, you know, this is probably a little more evident in Christian communities around the world. Maybe where there's greater poverty, maybe where there's more persecution. It's not as evident. We just don't practice this as, as well here in America because we're so self-sufficient and independent. But I mentioned a couple weeks ago a mission trip I took to Tanzania, and one of the visits we made on that trip was to a, a believing family, a very poor family, but we went there to visit with them. And they killed and cooked a chicken from their yard. There weren't very many chickens running around. They were pretty scrawny looking chickens too. <laughs> but because somebody was coming, because guests were coming, other believers were there, they shared one of those few chickens that they had with us. I mean, this... What, what motivates this desire, this, mo this willingness to share like this? Well, I think we see it in the passage. Look at verse 35, 33 to 35. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's just a beautiful picture. See, the early church is motivated by two things. They're motivated by the resurrection of Jesus, and they're motivated by the grace of God. And those th two things are at work in them continuously. So their understanding of the resurrection is what is stirring them to, sell, uh, to, to share that experience with others, motivating them to speak even when they're told not to speak in the name of Jesus because they've seen the resurrected Christ. And then their experience of God's grace poured out on them, stirs them to sell the things that they could and to share the prophets with the family of God. They had been shaken and now they're being stirred, motivated to give, to share. 
You know, it seems strange, a little bit strange to read Luke's description of this. Now, if you've ever paid attention, just kind of read right over it. But they bring the money and they place it at the apostles' feet. Now, can you see us doing that at Trinity? You know, we put all the elders up front and you bring your offering and, and you just put it, the checks and money at their feet. Uh, but that's just the way it happened. That, that was the, uh, the group that was making decisions. And, and so that's what it was. So today, most of us, and we have online giving. A lot of us have learned how to do that much more in this past year. They had on the feet giving, you know, in the early church. So that was their method. And, and I love this description of the early church, the Jerusalem church. Look again at verse 33, 34. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Here they are demonstrating God's grace so beautifully that no one has any needs that are not being met by somebody else. That takes all hands on deck. That requires everyone giving what they're able to do. That shows God's grace in action. God showers his grace on us. We grace others. I want to show you an example of that, how that's happened here at Trinity Church. We have a couple here at Trinity who, have, who gave up their own Friday night for about four and a half years to lead a ministry for people at Trinity and for people in this wider community right around here. Celebrate Recovery provided biblical help for hurts and hang-ups and habits, things that we all struggle with. And this couple shared so much of themselves during that time, during that ministry, and ask so little in return. Last year, COVID shut down our, our CR program, and at this point, we've determined not to start it back up, at least right now. And so we didn't want to just let that go on, move on, without taking a moment today to thank the couple that led this ministry so faithfully, that shared so much of themselves. So I've asked Steve and Rhonda Blackwell who've been serving God's kingdom, sharing themselves, to come up for just a minute. Stephen Rhonda, would you come forward for just a moment? Now, Stephen Rhonda, specifically, they don't like the limelight. They didn't want the recognition, that, you know. But I think it's so important for us as the body of Christ to recognize and thank people who are so giving, who represent what we just read about, seen in the, the early church of sharing themselves. And you guys did that so well, just ministry. And, and I, they still, even though this program's been offline for a year, still have connections to people that have been a part of that, that Celebrate Recovery program, still ministering in person, by phone, in many ways they can. So we, as the church leadership, just wanted to say thank you to you. And uh, we have a little thank you card. And in this is a, it's a gift card that will allow you to take a week away somewhere just in a small, a small thank you for the many weekends that you all gave up to minister to other people. So thank you so much for doing that. God bless you. And uh, let's one more time just thank Stephen. Thank you. Appreciate you. you stay here for just a moment? While you're standing, just remain standing for just a moment. I just want to pray for this couple. Let's just like, stop and pray like we say often here at Trinity. Lord, I thank you for Steve and Rhonda. Just 
a great example of what it means to serve and to, to give and share of oneself. And Lord, they so selflessly did that for four and a half years in our ministry of Celebrate Recovery. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the lives that they touched, the people that they ministered to, the many who were encouraged and helped and taught through those years. And, uh, Lord, we're so thankful to have them a part of our church family, our church body. And, uh, Lord, in whatever ways you call them to next, I, I just know because I know them, they will continue to be faithful and serve in whatever capacity you ask and whatever, wherever you place them. So, Lord, just bless them. And, uh, Lord, may they know how much we appreciate their service here at Trinity. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. So many of you give, serve, share in so many other ways. What is it that you have that you could share? For the early church, it was very physical. It was very... It was financial needs. It was selling land so that they could meet the needs of people who needed to eat. But in our case, maybe it's, maybe it's time that you have to give. Maybe it's a talent you have that you could use. Maybe it's some other kind of resource that you have available to you because of the grace of God that you need to share with others in some way. And the body of Christ is a way of sharing and using those resources. Maybe God's asking you to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. That was one of the things that they were sure to share, were committed to share. And maybe there's somebody that God is putting in your heart that you need to share your faith with. And maybe the fear is that you're going to get uh, reprisal or, or accusations come back at you, just like these early believers faced. Have the boldness. Ask God for the boldness to share, regardless of the consequences. If God's grace is so powerful at work in our lives, then we should be motivated to share, eager to give, actively looking for ways to share what's been given to us. Which was the case, by the way, with a, one particular believer. And here's where our passage ends, verse 36 and 37. Luke gives us a great example. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we have this guy, Barnabas. We're going to see a lot more of him as we go through the book of Acts, continue in this study. But he was so shaken and so stirred by God's spirit at work in his life and God's grace at work in his life that he found something that he could sell so that he could give. That is the true spirit of sharing. I'll close with one other story. Maybe you saw this in the news recently as well. A woman named Susan Ellis and another named Tia Wimbush. They've worked together at Children's Health Care of Atlanta for a decade. And they knew each other. They had shared and talked about something that they went through in their lives together. And what they shared is that each of them, for each of them, their husband was going through kidney failure. And both were waiting for a kidney transplant. Well, this past fall, fall of 2020, they connected with each other at work, just kind of ran into each other, and as they began talking, discovered for the first time, realizing that Tia's blood type was a match for Susan's husband, and Susan's blood type was a match for Tia's husband. 
It's just extraordinary. And so they said, well, let's take this a little further. Let's figure this out. And so they went and got tested. And sure enough, both were matches for each other's husband. And so this past March, on the same day, at the same hospital, they both went through that kidney transplant surgery, the wives giving their kidney to each other's husband in a successful surgery that saved their lives. Now, that's extreme sharing, right? I mean, to give a kidney, <laughs> that's not easy. But these women were willing to share, happy to share. Why? Because they knew the difficulty. They'd been through the struggle. They understood the challenge of uh, having a husband who was in kidney failure. And they knew what a blessing that gift would be for the other family. Two families blessed by that willingness to share. And to me, it's just such a, a great picture of what we see in the early church here and what we want to see in our lives and our church as well. What do we do when there are struggles, when there are fears, when there are doubts, things that threaten to rock our faith and, and upset our lives? What do we do? We pray and we share. We ask that God would shake us and would stir us. We ask for boldness to speak God's word and we ask for grace to bless God's people. Hear that again? Boldness to speak his word, grace to bless his people. And those are prayers that God loves to answer. Notice how quickly God answered those prayers for these people, these, this early church. He gave them boldness. He gave them grace. And God's grace is always all that we need. God's grace always has been and always will be enough for us. So we're going to respond this morning by singing that great chorus that declares God's grace is enough. Would you stand as we sing?
Amen. His grace is enough, is it not? Amen. Absolutely. Praise God for his grace. Well, you can have a seat for just a moment. I want to do one more thing this morning for our, it's kind of our church family, a good Sunday because we're gathered together, both of our early and late service folks together here. And uh, we want to acknowledge somebody that's been a part of Trinity from the very beginning, has been meant so much to our church and helping it grow, helping it be all that it's become, and just been the prayer warriors for uh, Trinity Church. And they're going to be moving soon, and so we didn't want to let that happen without having an opportunity today just to thank them and recognize them as well. So I'm going to ask uh, Tom and Phyllis, Dave to come, Jerry. I'm going to let you kind of tell the story and uh, then uh, pre make this presentation for us this morning. We would like for Linda and Ken to come forward. Would Linda and Ken come forward? Yes, please. Yeah, you stand up here with us. Yeah. Uh, as uh, Pastor Jeff has already told you, uh, Linda and Ken were charter members of Trinity. They joined along with 64 other members on Easter Sunday, 2004. And I was wondering, are there any other of those charter members here today? Okay, good, good. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So I know that Dane and Beverly, Barbara, Wilson, and uh, there's just a few of us few of us left but anyway we were honoring Ken and Linda today because they are leaving Trinity as Jeff has said and moving to be near their family and uh, as it turns out their family Karen and Michael are here today also to honor them so there you want to come down and uh, we also have uh, Diana uh, Woodson with us today, who was one of the original members, so we are so happy to honor her, too, and all that she's contributed. But uh, as <laughs> this is a surprise to Ken and Linda. They had no idea that Karen and Michael were going to be here today. But um, anyway, we wanted, first of all, uh, I am representing the missions committee, and uh, Jerry and Tom will be... Uh, uh, contribute uh, talking about some of the contributions that Ken has made to Trinity but on the on behalf of the missions committee I wanted to tell you that Linda has been part of our committee for 13 years and she has been the one that has been coordinating and overseeing all of the local ministries in uh, Pickens County so we have her to thank for that and uh, Linda also has been part of the women's Bible studies and the women's ministries and has been a faithful and loyal member of all of our, uh, everything that's going on in Trinity. So we'll let, uh, so, so now we'll let Jerry start talking about some of the things that Ken has contributed. Okay. 
I'm truly blessed to be able to call Ken and Linda Hillner my friends. Truly blessed. Um, they each, in their quiet and unassuming way, have been a blessing, tremendous blessing to Trinity. Don and I joined Trinity in January of 2007. And in the latter part of 2008, I felt led to try to put together a couple's Bible study. So I approached Ken, and Ken said, you know, I have been feeling the same thing. So we set about to see if we could gather enough couples together to have an evening Bible study. The Bible study started in January of 07. January of 09. We met every Tuesday evening until COVID shut us down in 2009. 2019. 2010. 10 years. I'll get there. It was, it was a blessing to every one of us. We had several couples at one time. We had, I think, many as 20. And we met in people's houses until they moved. And, and later I wondered, was that the only way that we could, they could get us moved out? <laughs> but now I want to go back and take a walk through some of Trinity's history. A history of blessings and the commitment and dedication of Ken and, and also others to the church. In 2005 and 2006, Ken, Ken worked as part of a building team and a facilities planning team, working on various renovations and expansions to the then existing Little Brick House, which was Trinity Church. That first sanctuary, to give you a per perspective, that first sanctuary is now the youth room and the offices that you enter off of the portico. We fast forward to April of 2009 with a blessed and growing congregation, the decision was made to concentrate our efforts on a new sanctuary addition. At this point, both the building team and facilities planning team recommendations were stalled due to the need for design funding. At that point, a member of Trinity, Wayne Bruce, offered to design and also manage the construction of the church for no cost. So August 27th through October 5th, the church entered into a 40-day prayer vigil titled Building for God. In January 2010, Ken was selected by the Board of Elders to serve on the building committee, giving them a charge to propose a structure they determined would fit Trinity's needs for the present and the future. Preliminary drawings were pre presented to the, and approved by the membership January 24, 2010. Estimated cost $700,000 with a $70,000 contingency. Construction was to begin only when 30% of that estimated cost, which was $210,000, had been received. The following week, the following week, a generous donation raised the building fund to 
$10,022.11 over the required amount to begin construction. Being the man, the godly man that Ken is, he immediately went to the scriptures, 2211, and he began in the book of Genesis, and he read every chapter 22, verse 11, until he got to First Chronicles. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. Thank you, Ken, for your faithful service, for your many contributions to Billy Big Trinity Church, including those mentioned here and those that I didn't mention. We love you. Hello, my name's Tom Ress. I'm one of the elders here. I'm also a member of the Tuesday morning Bible study led by Pastor Jason. It's called God Seekers. I encourage everyone to come out, all the men. It's at 8 o'clock in the morning. But I want to tell Ken, we're going to miss you. Ken was a faithful part of that Bible study for, I believe, 15, 16 years. I think George Callahan started it. And uh, Ken was there all the time. And if you know Ken, Ken is a man of few words. But when Ken says something, it's a golden nugget of wisdom and truth. And we appreciate that, Ken, and we're going to miss you. And our prayer is from that group, we're going to pray every day when you leave, that you and Linda find a church in Loganville where you're going to move to, that you find a men's group just like we have, be part of it, contribute to it, because we're going to miss you. We're also going to miss you at the Huddle House because we had great fellowship after that. God bless you, brother. Uh, because uh, <clears throat> the mission committee knew that we were going to miss Linda so much, we wanted to make sure that she remembered us and that we were able to give her a gift that they would never forget Trinity. So um, Susan Slade has created a memory quilt. And this quilt is uh, one that many of you at Trinity, many of uh, Ken and Linda's friends have signed because what Susan did was create squares that you could sign with a uh, remembrance or with a scripture. And this quilt will be part of Ken and Linda's new home in Loganville. So we are so happy to present this to them and for them to know that they have much of an influence, a godly influence they have had on our lives. So we will uh, go with them and uh, know that they will uh, never leave our thoughts and prayers. Uh, moving is never... Uh, never an easy thing, especially when you have loved where you are and also have had so much of a contribution. And I kept thinking this morning uh, during uh, Pastor Jeff's 
a sermon, how typical and how wonderfully this uh, describes what Linda and Ken has done for our church, how they have used their talents and how God has been able through his grace for them to share with us. And I think that uh, the promise from Jeremiah 29:11 speaks so much of that because they, that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and to give a future and a hope. And that's our prayer for you. Jeff, would you come and pray for them now? Would you stand with me as we pray, and then we'll have our closing song as well. Those of you that are around them, yeah, just put your hands on Ken and Linda. Thank you. Lord, we are so thankful for this time this morning, and two times this morning, to say thank you to you and thank you to these couples for investing themselves in your family and your work and your kingdom and so we do that now this morning as well for Ken and Linda. Thank you for bringing them to Trinity from the very beginning. Thank you for putting that on their hearts and the hearts of others to start this church. Lord, if it had not been for your move in their hearts to do this, we would not be a church family here today. We would not be celebrating worshiping out here at the terraces today. So thank you for using them to begin this work, to start this particular body of Christ. And so, Lord, now as they move on and move closer to their family, and Lord, I pray that your blessing on them, I pray your protection for them, I pray that you would care for them and continue to use them. Uh, Lord, we thank thankful that for all that they've poured into us, poured into Trinity, and your work here will continue to be blessed because of their willingness to give, their willingness to share. And so, Lord, may their lives be an inspiration to others. May we learn from their example. And may you raise up others who take their place to serve and to give and to lead at Trinity Church. And in all this we pray in the name of Jesus, our precious Savior. Amen. Amen. Jeff, we need to have one more comment from, my, uh, from a, uh, one of our I'm a long-time old member, <laughs> but I did want to say that Ken, talking about being faithful, when I moved away, had to move to Woodstock, he sent uh, the Bible study, you know, what would you call it? Prayer guide. The prayer guide. Every month, he would send it to my son, Jeff, who's standing up there on the top. And I just wanted to thank everyone for the prayers they've given to us. Jeff just got a new liver <laughs> as you're talking. And it was, it's a big one. But uh, it's, thank you for the prayers you've given us. He would like to be down here with us, but he can't make it. But thank you, Ken, for the devotion. Linda was in a lot of those mailings. <laughs> oh, she did it? Okay. Okay. But it was great. Thank you. Hands and feet. 
Praise the name of the Lord our God. That's why we're here this morning. I hope you will go continuing to praise the Lord our God. If you uh, have any questions about what we've talked about here this morning, having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 
Even if you're watching online, watching our live stream of this, please reach out to us. Talk this morning to me, Pastor Jason, any of our elders or deacons who have name tags on this morning, or reach out to us at the church office during the week. We'd love that opportunity to share with you how you can have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. If you want to hang out a little bit afterwards, you're welcome to do that. There's some picnic tables up there. There's some great trails right, that leave right out from around here. So enjoy the day. Enjoy this uh, beautiful creation that God's given to us right here in this place. Let me leave you with this benediction, this blessing as we go today. Trinity Church, the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for you. And the grace of God has been poured out on you. So never hesitate. No matter how hard it gets to turn to him in pray and to turn to others and share. The Lord be with you. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.